Hey everybody in Serial Killer Country, my name is Brittany Ransom. And my name is Brian Joyner. And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week we'll discuss something new and interesting in the serial killer world, and then we'll discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer, go deep into their childhood, lives, methodology, and most importantly, how they got caught. And then, because most serial killer fans love a little spook, Brian will lead us down the road of the paranormal into something that he found to be particularly creepy this week. But before we get into that, now, we were supposed to watch the Mormon murder documentary this okay, week on Netflix. Okay, but we we watched two episodes. Two out of three is not bad. We watched like an episode and a half. Okay, well, I watched two episodes. I did not watch the other half of the episode because there's a man on this documentary who has, I would, a soft, pillowy voice, and I go to sleep every time he starts talking. I'm sure, like, I'm sure there's something wrong with his throat. It has to be something like He some... just has a really soft, delicate, like, it's really nice voice. It's not bad. Yeah, no, it's not. It's just, if I'm already tired and he starts talking, I'm like, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> and then I'm out. It's like listening to Markiplier or you. Oh, my God. Because so, when I watched it during the daytime, I was like, oh, this is super interesting. So we're going to try and finish it by next week. And then we can give you our opinion on the fact that um, the Mormon religion is a trip. It is a real trip. I already told you this. It's well, a trip. I didn't even know it was a cult until about a month ago. And so you were like, <laughs> it is definitely a cult, Brittany. I'm like, no, this is just like spicy Christianity. No. And you were like, no. It's more like, okay... Uh, Mormonism is kind of like Scientology. Yes, which I did it's, not. I, I totally pulled it up while we were on the phone. And it was like, was visited by an alien who gave him these. Okay, first of all, he's an angel. His name is Moroni. Sorry, visited by <laughs> an angel who oh, brought wait, wait, him these wait, wait, plates. Wait. No, it wasn't an angel. It was a white salamander. Hold on. Oh, right. That's, <laughs> that's what caused all the bombings that someone insinuated that oh it was actually God. not an angel. It was a white salamander. And that made people really upset. And then like four people got blown up. So... But no, it was three. I think three people got blown up, and then there was a potential for a fourth bomb to go off. There was another one that was going to go off, but the third one. I, you got to watch the second one because it explains everything. I about missed the first one of the episode. bombs. All right then. You, you no, know, you just got to um, look. You got to watch it. <laughs> I will. I will. I will. Just not in the like not late night. Can't do it. Okay. I'll fall right asleep. So instead, I guess the topical thing we're going to discuss this week is. Uh, the Kendrick Johnson case that has been reopened. Yes. And for people who don't know, uh, Kendrick Johnson was a teenager who was found dead inside of a vertically rolled up mat in the gymnasium of his high school in Valdosta, Georgia in 2013. A preliminary investigation autopsy concluded that it was an accidental death and people said that he had crawled into the mat to seek i guess the the a lot of the boys like to hide their stuff there instead yeah. of going to their lockers yeah a lot of kids like to put their shoes or backpacks and stuff into these because this was a second mats. gym not the <laughs> main gym where they did like gym class and stuff yeah and they would store their stuff there because it was closer to their classes than their actual lockers exactly uh, also, I guess the boys also shared shoes sometimes. So they yes. would like share like an expensive pair of shoes and they would drop the basketball shoes off 
at the gym and then put their regular shoes back on and go back to class. Yeah, I didn't know that I was mean, a thing. Listen, it, shoes are like five hundred. These like, fancy shoes are like five hundred dollars. So I understand. Like I guess, like I didn't have any friends, so <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have friends to share shoes um, with when I was in high school. But regardless, uh, after this happened, it was a big thing. A lot of people were like, how is this possible? Um, I use the same kind of mats that they use at my job. We use them when we do gym- gymnastics class with the kids. Right. And we're trying to figure out like how a like 170-pound, 17-year-old boy fit in that um, with no one being able to see him. And he was there for days, mm-hmm. um, which also, you know, I mean, the parents filed a wrongful death suit against... Uh, against 38 different people who worked at the school and the the community uh, for a hundred million dollars. Um, they originally said like this is definitely murder and y'all are pushing it under the rug. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe there is there are two students at the school who have family members who work for the feds. And there was a belief that perhaps those boys had something to do with this. And they got it covered up. And that was covered up because they have parents in uh, higher level law enforcement. But regardless, it's it's being looked into again because, I mean, we thought we had heard the last of it in 2016 when the Department of Justice said, we're not looking into this. It was an accidental death. Yeah, they said it was an accident. We're not looking into this. Um, I mean, this was eight years ago. Do you remember... I don't, I don't remember how long ago. It was like a few years ago. So there's this black woman. Mm-hmm. She was at a, fl- a friend's uh, party sleepover. And, you know, everybody's drinking and stuff. In Chicago? I think it was. I think so. She wandered off while she was drunk and she ended up in a freezer somehow locked inside of it. No. No, not that one. Oh, that one was weird. They were she was at like a hotel party and this, she went off with somebody who we don't know who they are based on the cameras and then like her mom called the police. They were like, "Oh, she hasn't been missing long enough." And days later, they were able to discover that she was on a floor where they were doing construction in a freezer. And I'm like, "This is so suspicious." And where's this at? I think this happened in Chicago a couple years ago. Wow. Definitely in the past decade. This no, is another one of those weird. The one I'm talking about, it. Pro- I think it happened either in Florida mm-hmm. or Texas. Okay. She was at a like a friend's party. You know, she's a co-worker of this friend. Mm-hmm. And she goes over to this like birthday party or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I forget the name. Of, I forget her name. I apologize. But, um, you know, she spends the night because, you know, they've been drinking and stuff. Right. Next morning, everybody in the house finds her out dead and alone the oh. front lawn of their condo or wherever was it cold or she was just dead she was dead oh wow yeah so you, you haven't heard of that one no i don't remember that one. Oh my goodness and they said that was probably an accident it because she probably fell off the balcony from the it'd be really obvious if she had fallen off of the balcony yeah I had to she look would have up. sustained I... several uh, broken bones I... and li- ligature marks I think she didn't. There, there weren't a lot, and that's what made it like very confusing. Yeah. Yes, and I gotta look it up and see who the heck this. Oh goodness. But yeah, apparently the the Newark County Sheriff says that the death initially ruled an accident should be investigated again. Um, this is, I mean, his parents have never given up. Um, I wouldn't. Of course, who would? Um. 
The, yeah, I mean, they, uh, accidental, like, positional asphyxia is yeah. a horrible way to go. Yeah. Um, and I just, I guess I don't even understand, like, the way, like, how were they storing their shoes inside of the bats? That doesn't even make any logical sense to me. If, like, I would have hidden them behind the mats, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, an autopsy conducted by an external pathologist that his family ordered said that he did also uh, experience some blunt force trauma to his head, which is another thing that they believe was made it more suspicious, like that somebody hit him and then somehow he ended up upside down in the thing. I mean, that could be a thing. I mean. The second one. I mean, someone could have just, you know, killed him outright and then just stuffed him in there because. But apparently this is an uphill battle for this sheriff because apparently his office has received 17 boxes of written and electronic evidence from the federal probe. 17. 17. So he has a lot of stuff to go through, interviewing over 100 people, tens of thousands of emails and text messages between the young people, reviewing uh, hundreds of hours of surveillance videos from the high school. Um, All this between January 10th to the 11th, 2013. Um, He has a lot. His name is Polk. Uh, He has a lot on his plate in reopening this case. But I, I hope the family gets some kind of a answer that feels better for them. Yeah. A lot of times when there is pressure on a police department to get an answer, I worry that they are just picking the first answer, the easiest answer instead of, you know, it's not like TV. Yeah. In TV, yeah. it's like, Oh, we can spend all this time focusing on this one case. I mean, here it's it's June 2013. Mm-hmm. The whole world is aware of what happened here. And the pressure is on them to figure out what happened, figure it out quickly, and close this case so that everybody in the world is not looking at Valdosta, Georgia, and shaking their head at us. That's funny. Okay, so I, I did find the name mm-hmm. of the woman. In, so it was 2018 is when okay. this happened. Wow. And, and guess what? It was in Georgia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, Tamla Horsford. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Okay. Yeah, she was attending a friend's adult sleepover birthday party or something like that, and they found her dead in the backyard. I, I will admit, so we used to have what we called adult sleepovers in college, <laughs> and it was also because we had been drinking. Uh, well, and here, but here's what we would do, right? Okay, so here was our, our major plan. We would go and we would pregame at like a restaurant that had like a good deal on um, booze. Of course. Then we would come back and we would do our makeup and that was a whole ordeal. And I would do everybody else's makeup for them. Then oh we would go God. back out and then we would come back and we'd end up like laying on somebody's floor in somebody's house you just talking. Don't. At like two in the morning, so I mean, this is not that crazy. What she went to, she went to like a little, you know, little grown-up slumber party. Yeah, she was the, only the black downside person is there. that she died. Yeah, she was only a black person there too. So. Ooh, okay. Well, <laughs> I got feelings about that. <sighs> um, but yeah, isn't that weird that like 
were expected to be okay about that entering into an environment where there's nobody like you it's it's weird it's definitely it it does feel a little uncomfortable not gonna lie because i feel Um, like in any other situation like if you put like just one random caucasian person in a room with no one like them they would feel very uncomfortable mad real world have you seen dave chappelle uh, I have seen Dave Chappelle. I just Chappelle don't remember show? that one, but it, yeah, this is one of his skits. A Mad Real World. They put uh, one. You know how they, how he made a joke of saying how they always put this one black guy in his house of all these like six different white oh, people. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and, yeah, and you put one white guy in his house with some a uh, bunch of black people. Let's see how that works out. It didn't work out really well. I do remember this. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just an interesting thought process that you're expected to do. Like that's the norm. Like, I mean, to be honest, really I mean, honest we right now, are minorities, but um, yeah, but like anytime I'm, I'm out with my friends mm-hmm. or you know hanging out with people, mm-hmm. I just subconsciously I just look around. Absolutely. I have to look around and make sure like, is there another person that looks like me? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> is there somebody here who has my back somewhere? Mm-hmm. But like, it's just like a, it's a thing. I mean. Well, it's also one of those things, you know, uh, we talk about a lot of crimes where women are the victims. Yeah. And um, people are just like, yeah, you should do this thing or you should do that thing. And I'm like, do you understand the like unconscious level of checking that I do all the time? Like in the last podcast, I mentioned to you that I, if I get off the elevator with somebody on right, my floor, yes. uh, I wait. Or there was one night uh, I dropped off. Like my trash at the trash chute, mm-hmm. and uh, there was another guy who like walked in after me. And after he like, like he asked me like some really awkward questions. Mm. Um, like and I was just like, I'm taken. And he was just like, he kept asking questions, and I was like, Nope, that's it, we're done here. And then like my brain went, You know what I should do right now? I'm going to step into the the uh, stairwell. Mm-hmm. And so I, instead of going directly to my, because you know my, right. instead of going directly to my door, which is right there, yeah, I dipped over to the little hallway over there and I turned and went into the stairwell and I waited. And I was like, how long do I have to wait here to make sure that he has moved on? Because <sighs> the last thing I want is for him to know where I live. Yeah. And that shit is. We already live on the same floor. I don't want him to know exactly what room I live in. Like yes, what sure. apartment I live in, so that so that's things that people don't recognize when they're a part of the dominant group. Like how much stuff you do to make sure you are in a good place, right? Yeah, God, Ugh. you know, just subconscious stuff. You grow up, you learn to do. Yeah, this is true. This you know, is true. Like it's very dark outside right now. I Daily don't. Saving time's over though. That's true, but I don't walk outside. <clears throat> In the dark. This is yeah, really ever. I mean, look, get, okay, I'm gonna be honest again. When I'm walking from your apartment to my car, <laughs> you're a little nervous. Just a little bit. It's very dark on some of those side streets. And I'm just like, let me. Where's my keys at? Let me find those real quick. Put those between my fingers. <laughs> what you need? One of my uh, your my little, uh, self defense keychains. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah. lying. Not not lying. Oh my god. Well, I I listen. I wish Sheriff uh, Sheriff Polk all the the yeah, all good the feelings in the world good vibes to you sir yeah, he's got luck. a long investigation in front of him and the thing is 
no one's going to be happy depending on the outcome of this. Because yeah. if he finds out it was murder, then a whole nation will be enraged. <sighs> if he does this whole huge investigation and he finds that it was an accidental death, a whole nation of people will be upset with him. I mean, it's, so. it'll be the same outcome if they find it's an accidental death, though. So Yeah. But there's, they'll just have more closure and just, they'll, I mean, there'll be still answers as in, to why, but other than that, there's not much you can do about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. When Killers Get Caught is sponsored by the Magic Class Boutique. Now, why does that name sound so familiar? Well, it's because it's a business ran by our very own Brittany. That's right. The Magic Class Boutique is not only a black-owned business, it's a woman-owned as well. This is a jewelry company that makes some pretty awesome earrings, ranging from cute little sushis to spooky mermaid skeletons. There are even adorable self-defense keychains for those just-in-case moments. And introducing the Serial Collection. This set of earrings is based off of serial killers and the official merch for the podcast. This collection features everything a serial killer would need to pull off their crimes, from hunting knives at the beginning of their crimes to warding keys for when they eventually get caught. Check out themagicclasp.com today where you can use our promo code CAUGHT to receive 15% off of your online order. That's T-H-E-M-A-G-I-C-C-L-A-S-P dot com and use promo code CALT for 15% off and make sure you tell Brittany that I sent you. So, in our quest to continue looking for more international people... Um, as I mentioned in our trailer that we recorded, uh, I have a huge master list of every serial killer who has ever been caught since roughly like 1900 across the entire world. And they're organized by country. And then there's a whole subset of America because we have so many. But generally, the rest of them are organized by country. So it's just like, you know what? I haven't looked at India ever. Oh. So I started like typing in names. And when I typed in this woman's name, I came across a book called The Bandit Queen of India, an Indian woman's amazing journey from peasant to international legend. That's an awesome title. Right. It's and still, when you see a title like that. You got to buy it. No matter what the story is about, you got to buy it. Can't ignore it. And, you know, I expected to find a woman who was a hero, but actually she was kind of an anti-hero. Deadpool, go. Uh, and I'm not exactly bothered by the fact that she killed over 20 men. You will find out why as we journey into this tonight. Okay. Um, unlike my usual subject of serial killers, um, this woman, Fulan Devi, qualifies more as like a spree killer slash revenge killer. Um, and this is a woman who went from being born a peasant to becoming a bandit to a victim to a killer to an activist and politician. I'm here for the banditness. Oh, Yeah. I'm very excited to tell her story because I'm I'm not sure that too many people know about her and just what a life. That's a, a real arc right there. 
But like I do with every week, I talk about the beginnings of these, um, we'll call them uh, infamous people. There you go. Not all amazing, but infamous. So uh, Fulan Tavi was born August 10th, 1963, in a small village called Gura Kapura in Uttar Pradesh, which is, we would look at it like states, okay. so different states in India. She was the fourth child of parents Debbie Din and Mula. She was born into the Malan caste. The Malan are traditional boatmen and fishermen tribes and communities in North and East and Northeast India, as well as Pakistan. Uh, for folks who don't know, India has operated in a social stratification system called a caste system since about 1500 BC. It is one of the world's oldest forms of social stratification and is based on people's work and their duty. Hmm. Upper and lower castes, specifically in the area that I'm talking about today, uh, lived in segregated colonies where they didn't even share water resources. And like many social systems like this, it offers privileges to the upper caste and sanctions and repression of the lower caste by the more privileged groups. Uh, despite being criticized globally and also within India for being an unjust system, it's remained virtually unchanged, trapping people into this fixed social order where they can almost never escape. Um, and the caste that... Uh, Fulan was born into the Malan caste. The that's so low in down in the totem pole that the only people like below her are referred to as the untouchables. Oh, they are seen as like kind of the scum of the earth. Oh, yeah. So she she was not the lowest, but pretty far down there. She, she was close. Um, <clears throat> as a member of that lower caste, she was very very poor. Her family had one asset, a one-acre farm with a large old neem tree on it. It's a specific type of tree only grown in India, called mm. neem. Um, and her father's plan was to harvest the wood from that tree to be able to pay for a dowry for his several daughters to marry off. Really? Is it that, like, rare of a tree? It's not so much as that, that people need lumber. Okay. And they're all broke. Um, he had actually inherited 15 acres from his parents when they died, but his brothers pretty much stole it from him. Um, one of Fulan's cousins, his name was Mayadin, was a very well-connected man and aided in that land thievery. Uh, her uncle had been doing everything to slowly take this land away from the family. Mm. So when Fulan was 10... She had had enough. <laughs> of course. She demanded that her father fight for the land as it was the only thing that the family had. But her dad didn't have much in the way of like socio-political capital. And he was honestly weary after a years long fight with his family over this property. Her uncle had taken it over just through pure dishonesty. And it had left Fulan's family in like more poverty than other people in their community. Oh. So Fulan decides she's had enough and she confronts her cousin Mayadin. So she begins publicly calling him a thief and attacking him when she sees him. Then she convinces her sister and some other girls from town to do a sit-in at the tree 
the neem tree on their property. And this was like, it lasted for a significant period of time. Really? She's 10 years old, right? She's 10 years old. <clears throat> and she wouldn't leave when even some of the elders of, of the community tried to drag like the girls home. Mm. It only ended because Mayuddin showed up and he hit her with a brick, what? knocking her unconscious. Dude, come on. <laughs> yeah, this is a, a, a weird blood feud that's going to continue on for quite some time. Oh, my God. So after that event, uh, I Mayuddin kind of stops for a little bit, at least publicly. Um, Fulan still hates his guts. And refers to him as the thief whenever she can in public, which is uh, not a good thing to be just yelling at someone in the streets. Is Even it, now. That they're a thief? I mean. Yes. But they're a thief, though. Yes. Maiden was a thief. But, um, <laughs> well, so for about a year, he kind of keeps his mouth shut. Nothing publicly is happening. But on the back end, he is finding a way to rid himself of Fulan. Of this 10-year-old girl? Oh, I now mean, she's 11. Yeah, this 11-year-old girl? Oh, my God. He finds a more well-off man who'd agree to take her as his bride. Uh. Her family accepted, as was the custom at the time. And this worked out for Mayadin because this this new husband didn't live very close to her family. The only problem is that he was in his 30s and Fulan was 11. Mm -hmm. His name was Puri Lal. And um, in her autobiography, she calls him a man of very bad character, which I feel like she was being very uh, kind yeah, I was say, in this description. I mean, a 30 year old marrying an 11 year old. I mean, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Putty mistreated her from the beginning, sexually assaulting her and beating her from the start. Uh and this was pretty rough because she's away from home like well over an hour. Like it's not it's, this wasn't a she could just walk home situation. Mm. She was hours away from home in a very rural area. Um, she was isolated and but she did try and run away from her husband several times. And every time she was returned back to him, he would beat her more savagely. Finally, she was returned to her family because her husband was like, she's too young for wifely duties. No shit. Why'd you marry her in the first place? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have words to say. But I'm yeah, trying I knew to... you were going to have feelings about this. <laughs> um, but three years later, at 14, they return her to her husband. It's 1977. Mm. She kicked up a huge fuss this time. She protested and her husband brought her back to her family's home. The problem was... 1977, rural India, a wife leaving her husband in this manner is considered very taboo. And her community marked her as a social outcast almost immediately. So she's already one of these people of a lower caste. Um, she has someone with some political clout, very angry with her. Mm -hmm. And now she's being deemed like an unfit woman and a social outcast. Like she's just getting dug further into the, like hammered further into the ground. Of course. Okay. But okay. now fully back home, Fulan is back on. I can only say back on her bullshit. Back on her uncle hating. Uh-huh. Cause she is back to bothering her cousin about the fact that you stole 14 acres from us. She will not let it go. 
She accuses him of stealing the land. She tries to take him to court on her own at 14 years old. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, she loses the case in 1979 when she's 16. Um, what well, that, that, that case lasted two years, though. Yo, she was, listen... Fulan was just like as a child a force to be reckoned with. Nice. <laughs> so then Maiden comes up with a new plan. He calls some of his police buddies and he accuses Fulan of stealing things from his house. Um, she gets put in jail for three days where she is beaten and raped by guards in the prison. <clears throat> It was at this time in her life that she developed a bit of a hatred towards men. Understandable. Uh, specifically men who abused women and also a serious distrust of the justice system. Absolutely understandable. When she was released from prison, her family and community shunned her for being a thief, even though she never stole anything. And for a time in her life, she just felt really helpless. So before I get into what I can only refer to as the bandit era of Fulan's life, I have to give you some backstory here. In India, they have a different name for gangs. They call them the Dacoit. And there's a long storied history about why they even exist in India. But they are a part of organized and sometimes disorganized crime in several areas of India, with some being very traditional gangs. Uh, you know, they have protection schemes they are just going around causing a ruckus. We have some that are very Robin Hood-esque. Oh, okay. You know, rob the rich, give to the poor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like that. some of the Robin Hood ones would target wealthy people and then pay the medical bills or weddings of poor people. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Uh, other Dequite were like the mob in the 20s. They targeted businesses, offered protection, that sort of thing. Mm. Though the most common kind of Dequite actually kidnapped wealthy people and the de demanded ransom money from their wealthy relatives. I mean, they give them back though, right? Uh, if they got their money. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, those are kind of Robin Hood-esque. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> Just edgy Robin Hood. There you go. Um, there's a bit of a dispute here in some of the texts. So in Fulan's book, she says that she was kidnapped by a Dacoit gang. But in a different biography I looked at, they posed it as Fulan walked away from her life with her family because there was nothing there for her anymore. Hmm. But either way, she's 18. It's uh, 1979. And now she's with this gang. Um, the leader, his name is Babu Gajar, expresses a desire to rape her. But she has been offered protection by Vik Vikram Mala, um, the second in command who was of the same caste as her. Uh, Babu was of a higher caste, which is why he felt like he had mm. the ability to just do whatever he wanted. Right. I'm I, like, I, I'm going to let you know this. I want to do this to you. And it may or may Yeah, he's just happen. like, just letting you know. Like, yeah, you and I'm, me. I'm doing that later. Whether you want to do it. Oh, my God. I'm doing it. Ugh. Well, uh -huh. one night he. Uh, comes to try and rape her and Vikram kills him and assumes the position of being the new leader of the gang. Fulan is like, 
this is awesome. <laughs> like, you really have my back. Thanks. Yep. And she's like, you know what? I have no problem becoming your second wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. She's like, listen, I'm good. Like, this is, um, you got to figure though, like, Vikram is probably the only man in her life who hasn't harmed or like seriously neglected her. Right. That's true. And he was honest with his his um word. He did protect her. Yeah. He said, listen, I got your back, honey. So uh, it's not that crazy that she would become emotionally attached to the only man who's really put up, like really fought for her. Yeah. Yeah. So to take that a step further... Fulan tells him about her ex-husband. And he's like, what? (laughs) So he brings the whole gang to the village where her ex-husband lived. Oh. They wreck the village. Fulan walks into her prior home, stabs her ex-husband in the chest, and then drags his body out in front of all the other villagers, leaving him for dead on the side of the road. As a warning to older men to leave young girls alone. Yes. Okay. I'm down with that. Also during this time, uh, Vikram teaches her how to use a rifle. And she participated in some normal gang activities uh, across Uttar Pradesh and Madhya Pradesh. Things like robbing higher caste villages, kidnapping upper caste landowners for ransom, train robberies. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> all sorts of fun gang activity. So wait, wait, are they the Robin Hood type of gang or? I think they're kind of regular. Okay, they're just a, a gang. Got it. After every crime, Fulan finds a Durga temple. That's one of uh, Indian uh, goddesses, Hindu mm-hmm. goddesses Durga. And she thanks the goddess for her protection things this was great she's like this is the best like two years in my life of course things can't really go well for our heroine of the story uh so two upper caste gang members named Sri ram and lala ram decide to come back to the gang they were two brothers who belonged to the thakur caste uh the thakur are mostly small landowners so essentially, these two were brothers born into landowner wealth. Mm-hmm. Why you join a gang when you already have money is very confusing to me. They probably wanted to piss off their dad. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Well, when they rejoin the gang, they're like, where's Babu? And uh, everyone's like, he died. He did. And they are outraged. But not that Babu was killed, that he was killed by a man of a lower caste. Well, y'all couldn't do anything about it because you weren't here. So why do you care? And they're upset that someone of a lower caste is in charge of the gang and therefore in charge of them. You don't have to come back. You just go. Um, It was just tense. And it was even more tense because Sri Ram kept making sexual advances towards Fulan and Vikram's like, yo, that's my wife. Apologize to her. Yeah. No, 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 (sighs) no. So the thing about this particular gang that Fulam was a part of is that it was comprised of many different people of different castes. And so they would go to like different villages to rob them. And so when the gang robbed a Malin village, the Ram brothers would make fun of and mock like the Malin people. That's the same caste that uh, both Vikram and Fulan are part of. Mm -hmm. And that really upset like members of the gang who were also part of that caste. And they started to leave. 
Uh-huh. They're like, I can't get any respect in life, and now I'm not even getting respect in my gang. Ooh, yeah. So with that gap in like gang members, Sri Ram gets a dozen the cores to join, and now the gang has more higher cast members than lower cast members. Vikram, trying to be a good leader, is like, hey, why don't we just split into two groups, and y'all can do your upper cast stuff, and you can lead them. And I will lead the group of like Malin members. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's no in in gang fighting, and right. we can all be happy. Right, right. Nope. Sri Ram's like nah. And one night he actually just outright tries to kill both Fulan and Vikram oh. while they're sleeping. Um, Vikram manages to escape that day, uh, but they did kill him several days later. Oh, uh, they kidnap. Uh, Fulan and take her to a, a village. It's called a Bamai village, uh, which is for people of that cast, the core cast. And they lock her up and proceed to beat and gang rape her for several weeks. Okay. They would, they also like tried to humiliate her. Like they would make her strip and then walk through the city, like getting water for them or like getting food for them and things. After about three weeks of this, she manages to escape with two of the other Mullen uh, gang members from Vikram's gang and another lower caste villager who helped her out. Okay. Uh, Fulan heads out and begins finding other Mullen and creating her own gang with a man by the name of Mon Singh. Uh, he was a member of Vikram's older gang. Mm-hmm. And they begin a series of violent robberies in North and Central India, only targeting the wealthy. They do not target any lower caste villages here. So there's are bad Robin Hoods. Well, so here's the thing. Indian officials will say, says, say that this is a myth. But many other sources say that Fulan shared her wealth from these attacks with lower caste villages. And that one makes more sense to me because later on when there is a multi-year manhunt for Fulan, nobody can find her. And I know damn well somebody knew where she was hiding. (laughs) But because she had put them on for so long, they were like, nah, you're good. You're good. We got you. You can hide out in the back room. Nice. She protects us. No one ever. Yep. No one ever turned her in when that manhunt happened. I will explain to you why that manhunt happens in a little bit. Okay. But... (laughs) So this goes on for 17 months of her attacking these very wealthy tribe, these very wealthy like villages, Mm -hmm. uh, stealing the stuff like (laughs) uh, doing her Robin Hood thing. And uh, after about 17 months, she has this whole gang of lower caste people around her. And they decide they're going to return to Bamai. She is looking for the Ram brothers. On February 14th, 1981, Fulan and her gang show up dressed like police officers. The Thakurs in the village are actually preparing for a wedding. And if you know anything about Indian weddings, they are massive community events. 
that are very lavish and very beautiful. So the entire community is a part of this. They're all out getting ready for this wedding. They basically shut down the whole town for that, right? Fulan does not care. Oh, okay. She wanted two things. She requested all of the money and valuables in the city. And she said, bring me Sri Ram and uh, Lala Ram. Oh. Now, details of what happened next are a little bit fuzzy. Some say that because she couldn't find the Ram brothers, she became enraged. Others say that while she was looking through the city, she recognized several of the Thakur who had participated in her rapes and had murdered her husband. Mm. What we do know is that what ensues on February 14th is the largest massacre by an outlaw in all of Indian history. The gang searches the entire town at gunpoint, and when they cannot find the Ram, the Ram brothers, they line up every Thakur man in the village and shoot him. Many of whom had nothing to do with her prior assault. Of course. At the end of the day, though, 22 men are dead. Later, Fulan would say she actually never raised her weapon that day because she was saving her bullets for the Ram brothers. Makes sense. And the killings were actually done by her gang, uh, essentially as a, a means to kind of uphold her honor. Regardless, the police launch a massive manhunt after the St. Valentine Massacre. Ah. They do refer to it as the Ah. St. Valentine Massacre, only the Indian St. Valentine Massacre. Okay. Uh, Also, it's also known as the Bamai Massacre. And remember how I said magically none of the lower caste villagers never knew anything about Fulan's whereabouts? Right, of course. That's why I think she must have made all of those people believe in her based on the fact that she supported them financially because no cops ever found her. In fact, the chief minister of Uttar Pradesh, uh, his name was VP Singh, actually resigned in the wake of the Bamai massacre. And this is the point in history when the people of India begin to call Fulan Devi the bandit queen. I love it so much. They start making dolls that look like her. Oh, my God. I want one. And the dolls are dressed as a Hindu goddess Durga. And they're being sold all over Uttar Pradesh. Oh, my God. And the Indian media is pretty much like, yeah, this chick is awesome. Like if you Honestly, if you go look up pictures of her right now, yeah. there are really cool photos of her in this like... She's got like the the whole bullet belt across her chest, carrying a rifle. She looks like a freedom fighter. (laughs) I love it so much. This media frenzy captures the attention of the prime minister who requests the help of as many police as he can to find her. We're talking thousands of police have come to uh, Uttar Pradesh to find her. They request the help of several different rival gangs who want to kill her Hmm. to try and find her. And the reason why there was this political push here is because Fulan had upset the social order of India. She was from one of the lowest castes and she had threatened higher caste people, humiliated them. And even if she was just a small town girl with a really tiny gang beside her, Given she was giving the lower caste people hope that she that they could rise up, and she was a threat to the upper caste. How dare she? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting because when you look at other other materials, upper caste people write about her 
as if she is this ruthless villain who murdered a man on his wedding day. But for millions of the untouchables in India, Fulan is this badass, gunslinging, bandana-wearing outlaw who is a goddess among humans. Hmm. I love it. I love it so much. (laughs) So by 1983, this manhunt's been going on for two years. Mm. The police cannot find her. The rival gangs cannot find her. The bandit queen is elusive. But for Fulan, she is exhausted. I imagine. I'm running around. She's 30 years old, but she feels much older than her time. Many of the people who have been riding with her throughout this process now, roughly almost four years, there are a lot of them are dead or they're just exhausted. Um, so she reaches out to a Gandhian peace activist who reached, who reached out on her behalf to the government and they negotiate a surrender. She agrees. She'll surrender February 1983. But I have some conditions. <laughs> of course. First, she says, I don't trust any police or politician in Uttar Pradesh. So I'm going to surrender myself to the Madhya Pradesh pr- police, which is nearby state. Mm-hmm. Then she says, I will only lay down my guns in front of a picture of Mahatma Gandhi and Goddess Durga, not the police. There you go. Then she tells them, you can have my surrender if death penalty is off the table. None of my gang members will be jailed for longer than eight years. I want the plot of land that my uncle stole returned to my family. She's still on that. Oh, my God. It's been 15 years. It's been what? How many years? You said she's 30, right? No, I think. Wait. So wait, it's 1983, and she was born in. Oh, God. 1963. No, she's actually. So it's 20. She's 20 years she's old. She's 20. This it's, has been like I mean, okay. 10 years. Okay. I mean, that grudge. <laughs> this is 10 years. It's been 10 years. Oh, my God. I had God. the wrong number in my notes. I'm sorry, y'all. It's been. She's 20 years old. It's been 10 years. And she's like, I want the plot of land. That my uncle stole from my family returned. Right now. And you can have me. Go right ahead. And then she says, my brother needs a job. So get him a job in the government. He needs to provide for his family. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, my God. This is my. my, Yeah, this is one of the best stories I've ever read. Like she could be like one of my heroes. Oh, my God. Like, India made a movie about her, and she actually hated it, and she, like, threatened, like, to, like, harm herself in public if they didn't remove it. Oh, damn. They ended up giving her a settlement over it, but, like, I feel like we should do a modern movie about her. Definitely. Oh, my God. Not like a Bollywood. Like, there no, shouldn't be any dancing no. and singing in this film. No. Give me this a... needs to be, like, a real hardcore tale. Oh, this... yeah. Oh, my God. I'd love to see that. Absolutely. Like, what an... Just listen. But either way, considering the government hasn't caught her, they're like, fine, whatever. We'll give you what you asked for. So finally, after 10 years and many bodies and her humiliating wealthy people and I just love it. <laughs> stealing from the, the rich and giving to the poor, she manages to get 
the whole 15 angers her father desires. Thank you. Returned to him. Good job. Good job. So uh, the the Gandhian uh, peace activist uh, lets a police chief know where she is. Uh, He arrives at uh, their hiding place, which is in the Chambal ravines. Um, He meets her and the gangmates. And they walk to the city of Bind. There is a crowd of roughly 10,000 people and 300 unarmed police officers. And the chief minister of Madhya Pradesh, his name is Arjun Singh. And they all watch her as she puts down her guns in front of two gigantic portraits of Gandhi and the goddess Durga. And then they all surrender themselves. I fucking love this so much. (laughs) And this is where a real big circus starts. Oh, no. Come on. So Long gets charged with a total of 48 crimes. Uh, 30 of them are decoity, which is just straight banditry. Mm. Things she did while she was leading the gang. You said 30 of them? 30 charges. Okay. Um, She also gets charged with kidnapping. And the wheels of justice seem to be working, but they grind to a halt. Now that Fulan is in prison, the former Thakur gang members and all of her other enemies begin filing cases against her requesting trial after trial that keep her original case from being ever handled. Um, it was it was like they found a weird loophole where they could keep her in the system as long as another rich, the core, popped up and charged her with something ridiculous. I hate them now. And the problem is, even though her family had gotten their land back, they didn't really have money for proper legal representation. And the prime minister, actually... Um, Indira Gandhi had been assassinated shortly after her capture. So the whole government was going through a, a new process of new people being in power and things of that nature. And this continues. Now, mind you, she was she surrendered herself in 1983. Mm-hmm. This goes on for 11 years. With her being in a, a legal I don't know what would you call it, uh, purgatory almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in, in 1994, a new prime minister gets elected, who is also of a lower caste, and he just goes, "This is absolutely ridiculous that y'all are still doing this," and he actually just outright pardons her. Yes, he says, "He says screw it." Yes, she did nothing wrong. Fantastic. Release Fulan. I love this. <laughs> like, this, wait, this is a murder story. It is. Because I love this so much. she did kill like 22 people. Yeah, but these are men, right? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I mean, what? (laughs) I love this so much. Okay. Um, So it's it's 1994 and she's free. But jail has been very hard. Um, I mean, now she's 31. Uh, And but she finds that as she's been released back into Indian society, she's still very much a beloved figure among the masses. It's almost a little bit of a, like, the reason why, like, when she said she called herself an international legend, there there was a lot of legend and, and awe about her at this point. Mm. And she thinks about it for those next two years, and then she decides, well, what I'm going to do with all of this social capital I've somehow earned over the last 10 years is I'm going to run for parliament. Um, And she runs on the platform of speaking for the untouchables and for women. 
There you go. Yes. Because women have very little political representation. Actually, and she wins in that 1996 election. And after she was elected, she gets interviewed by a Western journalist who talks to her about, like, you know, the fact that she was sexually assaulted. And Mm -hmm. this is what she said. It's a direct quote. You can call it rape in your fancy language. Do you have any idea what it's like to live in a village in India? What you call rape, that kind of thing happens to poor women in the villages every day. It is assumed that the daughters of the poor are for the use of the rich. They assume that we're their property. In the villages, the poor have no toilets, so we must go to the fields. And the moment we arrive, the rich lay us there. We can't gut the grass or tend to our crops without being accosted by them. We are the property of the rich. They wouldn't let us live in peace. You will never understand what kind of humiliation that is. If they wanted to rape us, molest us, and our families objected, then they'd rape us in front of our families. Um, that was the the life that she was born into. Yeah. And unfortunately, in certain rural areas of India, even today, that is stuff that happens. Obviously, not all of it. A huge section of India is very uh, tech savvy. I mean, mm-hmm. they people have very advanced degrees, huge science. But it's a it's a country where you have huge cities with technological leaps and advancements, and then you have rural cities that are very very small, way 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 way, way out in the middle of nowhere. Right, right. Where there's very little uh, protection, like there isn't even a police department in some of these small villages. Oh. So it becomes the will of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I believe I remember a couple of years ago reading a story about a woman who was sexually assaulted and she beheaded the man who raped her and she walked into the town, like the center of town holding his head and being like, here you go. This is my honor. And she like threw his head in the middle of town. She did get apprehended, but I still applaud her. Right. Absolutely. I mean, hey. She got arrested for murder, but I'm like, eh, I mean, really? She defended herself. Exactly. Should have stayed out of my hut. Is that a pun? No, I'm just saying you should have stayed out of my hut. Okay. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm the pun maker around here. I was going to say, I don't make puns. That's you. <laughs> but, uh... She- like, Fulan had a very solid social justice philosophy, actually. She believed in Gandhi, Buddha, Jesus, Durga, and a man by the name of Bameo Ambedkar. Ambedkar. He was an Indian politician who campaigned for social reform, and he also campaigned against discrimination of the untouchables as well. Um, she lost her seat in Parliament in 98 and then got it right back a year later. Nice. She actually, she lived in a modest home, and she did get married again. Strangely enough, she did meet somebody whose ideals lined up with hers and supported her in her political career. Okay. Now, I hate the way you're speaking because it sounds like you're talking in the past tense. <sighs> like, she's not around anymore. Because she isn't, and we're getting into that point now. Uh-huh. Um, Fulan was never unaware that she had many, many enemies. Um, She had a dog at home. She had guards who accompanied her whenever she left her house. She wore a bulletproof vest anytime she left home. And she carried an an Enfield rifle and a bandolier full of ammo on her at all times. 
Um, but unfortunately, you can't hide forever. And she not only had the core enemies still from the Bamai massacre, mm. but she had gained new enemies as a politician because of her political views that lower caste Indian citizens deserved rights too. On July 26, 2001, at the age of 37, three masked gunmen attacked Falan outside of her bungalow in Delhi, uh, India. Mm -hmm. She was hit nine times in the head, chest, shoulders, and right arm. Her personal security guard did his best returning fire, taking several shots to the chest and arm as well. Um, he did a good job, though, because the gunmen actually abandoned their car, so he must have shot something on it to make it stop. Right, right. Uh, and they got on an auto rickshaw and kept going. Uh, they they had a plan. They had a, like, they had a plan A and they had a plan B for if the car got destroyed in the process. Mm -hmm. um, the police later recovered a Webley and Scott pistol, several improvised, like, homemade firearms in their car, Several revolvers, nine empty rounds, and 15 live rounds, which proved that the shots came from the car. Okay. They were hiding within the car to shoot her. Um, she was rushed to uh, the Ram Manahar Lahaya Hospital, but she was pronounced dead on arrival. And the prime suspect was a man by the name of Shur Singh Rana, and he did eventually surrender himself to the police uh, he claimed that this was revenge for the Bamai massacre and was sentenced to life in prison August of 2014, mm. which also lets you another, because remember, this happened in 2001. Yeah. It took 13 years to get him to trial. Oh, my God. Um, It was a violent death for a woman whose life was full of violence. Yeah. It It almost seems kind of balanced, but still very wrong. Now I'm sad. Yeah. She just, she lived in a really ruthless time that called for lawlessness. Yeah. Um, she single-handedly gave the middle finger to one of the oldest stratification systems in existence by herself, suffering repeatedly in the process. I, it's it's kind of interesting. Like, I, when, as I was writing this, I was just thinking about that line from Pulp Fiction that Sam Jackson says, you know, I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who would attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. Like, Fulon DeVee was that righteous anger and, and sometimes vengeance. She really was. Oh, my God. You know, and I think she just improved. She just proved that sometimes that is the only way to get things done oh my god yes. <laughs> i can't pretend to even uh, I, I can't even like fathom growing up in a place where a stray dog had more rights than a woman but mm. damn it if she didn't give it her best shot mm -hmm. um the majority of this <laughs> uh was researched well, this is based off of The Bandit Queen of India, An Indian Woman's Amazing Journey from Peasant to International Legend by Fulan Devi, Marie-Therese Cuny, and Paul Rambali. And interestingly book. enough, she didn't ever learn how to read, which is why she needed people to help her write her autobiography. Right. But still, impressive. That's it's a big, awesome. It's a beautiful, lengthy book. Oh my God, I need this book for my life. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, this is an easy thing to pick up from the library, but I'm going to get me a copy myself mm -hmm. to have. Definitely. Uh, yeah. 
like I said, because she didn't agree with the movie about her life that came out in the 90s, mm. I don't think I'll be watching that one. Right, yeah. But this is, just listen, anybody from Hollywood, if you are listening, this is the story. I know we have a lot of California listeners, so. This is the story. If you are looking to get your first script accepted, this is the one. <laughs> Do it. Get and it bonus, the whole cast would have to be from India, so we get inclusivity. Let's please. Oh, my God. There's got to be an Indian director who wants to make this their first major film. I just, can I just say how much I love, I, I mean, I said it a few times already when you're <laughs> telling the story, but I fucking love this story. Yeah. Like, it ended, like, I wish she was still alive. We'd be like, hey, let's go visit India. <laughs> but no. Oh, my God. I Oh, oh, Brittany, you gave me a gift today. <laughs> I like I said as soon as like as soon as, once I saw that title of the book I was like oh uh, like remember when I texted you mm-hmm. and I was just like I found my person for this week <laughs> I know who I'm talking about yeah and like n- the thing is I only read like the cursory little bubble on the book like when I read the, I was like I was like oh this is great because there was nothing where I was like oh this is wonderful yeah I love that thank you thank you very much yeah I was like I, I feel better for knowing about Fulan Devi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I do want to say now that I, I like I did love that story immensely. Oh my fucking god! I love that story so much. Um, I'm not going to backtrack anything I said. By the way, I just want to say that um to any of the men that are listening, <laughs> I'm like I'm not sorry, but if you assault a woman. And you expect no consequences to happen to you, or like you expect n- like no repercussions from your actions. And you-, you know what? The only downside is that I couldn't find out what happened to the Rom brothers. Yeah, I where mean, did y'all go? I hope they because died. Fulan was looking for you. <laughs> she was ready. She had a bullet with your name on it. She, she had two bullets, by the way. Two bullets with your your names on it. I was looking. I was like, where did where did these two guys go? They just disappeared into the. But, history books but yeah like I, like i advocate for what would you say what, what, would, you, what would you call this like th- like treating like treat women like they're people please. oh yeah not like they're less than you like if you're a man you're male whatever um well, what's the interesting thing is that we look at a place like India or like rural India where some yeah. of these things happen or even you know 30 years ago what happened to uh Fulan Devi like and we of course I'm sure there will people who listen to us and they will go oh well it's well, we live we're so much better than that no the fuck you're not nope. no the fuck we're nope. not we're not we're not we're we're count to like 10 two women have been sexually assaulted in America oh my god women or children <sighs> that's how rampant it is it's just not we don't nobody like i i guess it's like it's it's a thing that's hidden yeah it, a lot of it is yeah yeah and also it's a thing that's shameful for the person that it happens to we're still not in a place where people can be honest about their sexual assaults exactly and it's like if you bring it up in a court oh yeah you don't remember all this stuff you're obviously lying no it's, it's because i was drugged okay or there's other situations like uh there's been situations that i've been involved in where it was it could have been that mm-hmm. um and and no one wants to discuss that there's trauma related to well, I'll just be honest because that's kind of where we are and this is 
the environment that we've created. Uh, I had a friend who I knew from college and I had an apartment in Philadelphia. This was years later and he was a lawyer and he would get drunk sometimes and I had an extra bedroom in my apartment. Mm -hmm. And sometimes my other roommate would be there. Uh, One of the girls had moved out and so I had a guy roommate and it was just me. And sometimes he wouldn't be there. But either way, I would let him use the extra room multiple times. This happened loads of times. And then one night, you know, brought him in, he's drunk, let him sleep on that leftover mattress that had been there from our old roommate. Mm -hmm. And I looked up and he was standing in my doorway and he was butt naked. Oh no. And he kept trying to climb into my bed with me. And when I was like, whoa, he was just like, no, come on, come on. And like, I have a very vivid memory of me kicking him in the junk in the middle of the dark. And then I also remember saying to him, one of us is going to die tonight if you keep going this route. Mm -hmm. And he stopped and he thought about it and he left. He slammed my door in which I immediately locked it. He went back to the other room, I guess, and got dressed. And then he went downstairs and he, because it was like a, like a walkway down to get to the door to the apartment. He slammed that door too. And then I ran downstairs and I like locked that door and I put the slide lock on it. And I texted some of our mutual friends and I was like, he crossed the line. We're not friends anymore. Don't talk to me about him. In a weird sort of kind of hilarious situation that happened. Um, I got invited to a party that he was going to be at and it was, you know, mutual friends. And I just said, is so-and-so going to be there? And uh, my friend was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I won't be coming. And she's like, what happened between you two? And I was just like, he, he crossed a line. He violated a barrier for me. And I just don't want to be around him ever again. Right. Now, a lot of people will say, hey, you know, why didn't you? That was an attempted assault. And I'm like, because what's anybody going to do? Nothing bad. Nothing actually happened. That's another barrier we have in the States. No one was going to take that seriously. It was just, you know, a drunk guy trying to climb in my bed. But here's where his intention was real. Because he went to that party and my friend being the nosy person that she is was just like, what happened between you and Brittany? And he was just like. Oh, what did she say? That I like tried to rape her or something? Mm. And everyone at the party was like, no, but did you? Obviously you fucking did. So (laughs) he very much outed himself to uh, my friend group in that regard. And then everybody stopped talking to him too. But that let me know that that was the intention. Because in my head, you know, you think about that as somebody who's through a situation. Like, well, maybe he didn't you know, mean that maybe he was just drunk or whatever. Nah, he knew what he was doing Yeah, the whole time. Okay. Maybe even before then, maybe that there was a slow plan to slowly work his way up to, to what he did. You know what I mean? And so that's, but everybody I know has a story like this. So uh, we can't same. look at any other culture and point fingers and say they are worse than us. Everybody I know has a story like this. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying that India's worse or anywhere. No, else I'm just is saying worse. to the people saying, listening, please don't. Oh yeah, uh, no. I'm saying every man in the world, or any every like every woman in the world has a story like this. Yeah, so many people of of all genders, of all ages, uh, working in education, we do a fair amount of training on child sexual assault, and. It is very rampant within American society. Uh, I believe the current number is 25% 
of all children before the ages of 18 will be assaulted. And that's the lowest it's been in like 50 years. It used to be worse. It gives me no hope. I hate that. Almost no hope for the, you know. So uh, (laughs) this this is the world that we live in and we have to make... Yeah, and, and the best choices, and do the best for ourselves that we can. But and please, this is why I can't feel bad for anybody who's been a victim of any of these sort of things. If you've watched the TikTok and you've heard me say that I empathize with Eileen Wernos, that's why. Absolutely, because <clears throat> I and so many of the people who I know and care about have been in positions like that. I cannot, like, I understand that. Not all of the people she killed were uh, rapists, but the first one was. Mm-hmm. And the other ones were people who were treating her like that one. So, uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it wasn't a short line for them to cross if, you know, if she let them cross that line. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I uh, I will always. Fulon DeVee, Eileen Wernos, other women who avenge mm-hmm. their assaults. You got my support. Absolutely. Mine too. That's why I love this story. Oh, and it's still Women's History Month. It is. And I'm so glad you did this story for Women's History. That's why it's a gift as well. I (laughs) fucking loved it. I'm not even going to lie. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. All right. <clears throat> so now, I guess we're getting into my part of mm-hmm. this, this segment. Uh, okay, well, this week and next week, and hopefully not any longer than that, I'm going to try to keep it down to this, these two episodes. Okay. Because there's a lot I want to talk about, but then I'm like, I don't know how much I want to like stress this out to. So, mm. I'll be talking about something that no one asked for. But guess what? You're going to get it. (laughs) What did no one ask for? All right. Talking about the paranormal investigators, the beautiful couple, and Lorraine Warren. Ah! (laughs) I love Lorraine Warren. Yes. So much. Oh, it was so sad when she finally passed. She passed last year. I know. Um, listen, I'm not, listen, it's just, it's all about, it's always been about Lorraine for me. By the time I even learned who she was, her husband was already gone. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, unfortunately, like I started watching ghost shows Mm -hmm. and I saw her, uh, helping some of the different shows. Yes. yes. uh, Using her abilities there. So. And then I was like, wait a second, that sounds familiar. And then I realized that I had read the Amityville Horror books, and so mm-hmm. I already knew them. I just didn't make the connection until I was a little older. Okay, okay. Well, I wanted to just talk about Lorraine, of course. Oh, but wonderful. you can't talk about one This is great without because talking about the other. I gave you a gift, <laughs> and now you are giving me a gift. Yes. Of my favorite paranormal couple. There we go. So, yeah. So, you can't talk about one without talking about the other. So, I'll be talking about them both. 
in this two two part episode two part episode possibly two parts hopefully not anymore i'm gonna try to keep it down to two parts <clears throat> so i'm still gonna try to focus on lorraine for the most part of this though so for these two parts i'm gonna start out by for this first part with their background mm-hmm. uh you know where they started and then i do a little bit of a touch on i guess their research on ghosts mm-hmm. um and for the next episode i will be covering all not all of their cases but most of their cases um including some other famous ones that they've done um annabelle in amityville or you know amityville as well but the real annabelle not the no, 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 story no. in the movie no 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 not that one no we're not doing conjuring the conjuring, conjuring is a real story, okay, but yeah. the Annabelle doll is yeah. different from how they portray. Well, yeah. correction: they portrayed Annabelle correctly in the the Conjuring story. It's the subsequent sequels that have nothing okay, to do so with the, the original. The spinoff sequel that yeah. they got. Okay, so I'm not talking about also, that. Also, they one. don't talk about the fact that uh, it's not the doll in the movie because they couldn't get the rights to put the real doll. Yeah, I know. In the actual movie, really, Raggedy Ann? No, Raggedy Ann would not agree. That was it. Mattel or one of those companies would not agree to put the dolls in the film, so they had to come up with that ugly. You're going to tarnish our name, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, eh, you got a haunted doll, guys. I mean, you can't really fight that. But anyway, but I'm so here for this. Yes, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. No problem. Um, but yeah, for the second part, I'm going to do all their the juicy ghost event investigations. Um, so I can't start this out with. Without mentioning one one big source for this story, the book I was waiting like I guess like a week for to come. Right, it was like super delayed. Yes, it was. It's um the demonologist. Ah, uh, yeah. Because Ed is the only uh non priest uh demonologist in existence. There right. There you go. Yeah. He uh, was given permission by the Vatican to continue doing. Uh, exorcisms. exorcisms yeah even though he was not part of the well he's part of the faith but he was not an official clergyman absolutely yes so this is the demonologist the extraordinary career of ed lorraine warren oh i love it and an article i did like uh, i touched on this article done by the uh, the ap um the associated press it's just i touched on it like lightly but that that's about it so i feel you i like to have can can contrasting opinions yeah i have i have another source i just don't know where it's from it's um it's basically like a research paper someone else did oh that's interesting so yeah you uh, didn't go to their uh, bibliography i do that sometimes the the person that wrote this when people write little things i look up their bibliography and then i go to their book oh no 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 no. it's like a an actual like Okay, so the, the, oh, like a thesis. Yeah, so the 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 name of this, uh, I guess it's a whatever you want to call it. It's a internet thing. It's called Fifty Years of Ghost Hunting and Research with the Warrens. So I'm pretty sure you could look that up on Google, and it'll take you right to this page. Um, so the interview is done by Jeff Belanger. Mm-hmm. Belanger. Belanger. That sounds familiar too. Okay, so there you go. All right, so. Let's start this little ride I got for you guys. So Lorraine Warren, born Lorraine Rita Warren, 
Um, she was born in Jan- she was born on January thirty first, and nineteen twenty seven. Ed Warren was born on September seventh, nineteen twenty six. They're both born in Bridgeport, uh, Connecticut. So, Lorraine born with the power of clairvoyance. She discovered at an early age that she was different from other children. At the age of 12, she found out how different she was. So, on one Arbor Day, at an all, she, was, she was at an all-girls uh, private school. Oh, okay. Um, you know, they were planting a sapling. And Lorraine... She's she's like look, they're planting a sapling. All the other girls are like looking, <clears throat> and you know as a, as a sapling being planted. And Lorraine, she's actually looking up, and in the tree. She, yes, she's uh. looking up into the sky, and um, one of the I guess the nuns noticed her looking up, and they're like. Lorraine, what are you looking at? And she's like, I'm looking at this tree right here. And there was no tree there. It was just a sapling. So she was... Oh, wait. She's looking at the ghost of a tree? She's looking at the future of the tree. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, see, I always thought of her as a medium. Oh, she has a whole different set of skills I never realized. She's clairvoyant. So... I mean, I guess you call it... I guess it's two separate things. Yeah. I guess I should explain. Well, because I guess because on the ghost shows, they want her to look into the past. Yeah. But she can see. But yeah, clairvoyance is the future. Yeah. So she has the ability to see both. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah. So, um... (laughs) Yeah, I wrote this little joke, but never mind. Yeah, the number's like, what you looking at, kid? And Rain's like, tree, duh. And (laughs) the line goes like... Uh, Lorraine, use Future Sight? Like a Pokemon? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and Lorraine goes, super effective. <laughs> and, oh my gosh. and then the nun goes, okay. Time. <laughs> okay, Tiny Witch, time for you to go pray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, um, the nun- Wait, did they really assume that something was wrong with her, though? Yeah. Um, no. I would have assumed, like, if a, if one of your kids told me that, I would be like, oh. One of my kids? This is just pretend time. One of my kids? Yes. No. If Cassandra tells you something like this, believe her. Yeah, but Cassandra sees beings, not a future tree. Okay, if she tells you something like this, believe her. Jaden, I'm not too sure about him. He doesn't have the gift. Listen, oh. it, it's not necessarily a gift. Little kids are more open. Yeah. That door might close as she gets older. So, yeah, <laughs> that's true. At least, hopefully, for you, or else you're gonna have to deal with this. I mean, hopefully, she doesn't. It doesn't close for her. But um, so they send her to a retreat to pray. Oh, the Pokemon away. <laughs> Poor Lorraine. So yes, they tra- they they send her for away for the weekend to to pray. It was only a weekend. At least yeah. it wasn't like one of those scary places. No, 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 no. It was it was a retreat. Just get a. Uh, so wait, so they sent her out into the woods. It was a retreat. So. You know so where it was that like a I guess like a Bible retreat. I'm guessing. Yeah, those are usually out in the wilderness. Okay, and you know, 
locations oh, where yeah. bad things have happened out in the wilderness. Okay, okay, yeah. So she can see more things. <laughs> so after she told you know the nun this and she got sent to retreat, she was like, "Okay, I'm just going to keep this stuff to myself now." Smart, smart girl. Just so you know, I don't get in trouble anymore. Mm-hmm. So Lorraine was even tested at the UCLA to judge her clairvoyance. And it was uh, judged uh, beyond average. So, so have you ever seen Ghostbusters? Yes. The original, like the first one? Yes. Okay, do you remember like in like the first scene, um, Vankman's, he, he's, he's testing these two students for mm-hmm. like clairvoyance? Yes. Like, okay, and he's But like, isn't he using like a machine? He's using like a, sh- okay, so... What he does, he he's holding up a card to himself, and he's asking them, "What what what do you see behind this card?" Right. And so I've the, actually seen that done multiple times on the internet. Oh, really? I just thought they were making fun of. They were like doing the movie thing. I mean, probably. I, <laughs> still... But if that's actually like the way they test clairvoyance, that's interesting. So, and, and then like he would give like a a shock to if you got it wrong, mm-hmm. and. The guy, so it was a guy and a girl, and the guy, he like freaks out. He's like, "What are you even doing here?" And he's like, "Whoa, sir, I'm testing to see if negative, like negative reinforcement affects clairvoyance." And yeah, I was just thinking about that because my in my head, I'm like, the fear of the shot could affect a lot of people to ruin their ability to answer the questions yes. correctly. Yes. Um, and well, that explain that's perfectly because it's Venkman, but yeah, no, he's my he's, he's my, I mean, Bill Murray. Come on now, I mean, um, but it's funny that he says this, and the guy got the card right after being shocked so many times. He just got pissed off, and he's like, I don't know, like a figure eight or something. And he's like, and Venkman's like, No, you got it wrong. It is a freaking figure eight on the card, though. He just wanted to mess with the guy because he's, and I was just like, this reminds me of something. They would probably do something like this. But I think the the test actually it doesn't involve being shocked like Ghostbusters, but it does involve you trying to discern. Yeah, yeah. Things in another room or situations. Like I'm pretty that. sure that's yeah, that's how you do it. So um, they did that to her at UCLA. Um, not I didn't go really into it, but I know they tested her for that. Yeah. Oh, cool. So anyway. Ellen Rain met at the age of 16. While Ed was an usher at a theater in Bridgeport, um, he had seen Lorraine. I know the story. Oh, do you know the story? Keep going. It's cute. <laughs> it's cute in only like the way that things in the 40s and 50s were cute. If they did this now, this is not cute. This is true. But this was cute back then. He, so he had seen her and her mom coming to the, you know, coming to the theater every Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Ed started talking to her and they became friends. Mm-hmm. And one night when he walks her home, he he basically just asks her out. And I guess you could say it's history from there. Yeah, it would be unheard of now that like the guy you randomly buy popcorn from, you allow to walk you home <laughs> from the movies. Like that would never happen now. But isn't it adorable? I mean, you could be friends with them. You could talk to them nicely and stuff like that. You talk to people nicely, but I have what I refer to as real relationships and people who are doing things for you relationships. So like if I take an Uber, I talk to the Uber driver and I'm super nice to them. Uh-huh. But as soon as I get out of the car, that relationship is over. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You just remind me of that freaking DoorDash thing. 
Oh yeah, that DoorDash left. You. Yeah. <laughs> no, that no that they that, left the food on the front of the uh dry in front of the the garage. No garage. No, no I'm talking about something else. But oh, you mean that guy who like called the lady up the next day and yeah. was like, "Hey, you've been in my mind." Yeah, exactly. Like, oh my god, no, dude. This Move. is just like the man hater episode. I'm. <laughs> I'm not sorry. Anyway. Let's go back to talking about our lovely couple. All oh, right, right. So Ed. His childhood was different. So he grew up in a haunted house oh. uh, from the ages of five to 12. Same house. Um, like he started seeing ghosts at the age of five. Oh, no. Yep. That's that's when it happens. Yep. So he had a landlady that died. Um, and a year later, late at night, he was in, I guess, his room. You know, everything's dark and stuff. Mm-hmm. His, closet, his closet door starts opening up. And it's always the closet. Why y'all can't leave these children alone? Like, like I told you, did I tell you about that? Yes. Okay. It's always the closet. It's yeah. the closet in <laughs> your house too. Yes. No, for me, I mean, my story with the closet. Well, you have a closet story too? Yeah. <laughs> I was talking about Cassandra saying that there was somebody in her mother's closet. No, no, no. I'm talking about like at um our old, old house, old, 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 old house um, where my grandma died in. And it was a room she died in. And, you know, we would share that room. And, like, some nights, the closet door, you you would hear it just creaking open nice and slowly and opening. (laughs) I just have to imagine that there's just ghosts who are trying to, like, figure out their powers. And Mm -hmm. they're just like, I'm going to get this door open. And they're just trying so hard. And it goes, creak. And they're like, yes, I'm finally getting my ghost powers. Because, like, why are they all messing with the doors? I just think my grandma was just messing with us. Leave us alone. We're <laughs> she, trying to sleep. She liked to pick us, pick on all of us. So ah, that I'm pretty sure that's what she was doing. But um, so his closet door opens. And at first he sees a ghost orb, light thing. Right. Um, yeah. And it starts to slowly, like, a human form. Oh. It starts turning into something. And it becomes this landlady who had died a year before. Did she say something? Um, so, no, she didn't say anything, but... Tell your mom to fix the pipes. <laughs> <laughs> but while she was alive, she wasn't... She didn't really like kids. Aw, dang it. So, but she didn't do anything to him. She just had, like, the aggressively child free strike again. Her her resting B face on the whole time that he saw her. Mm-hmm. And when she was a ghost, she had the same face on. Aww. And so. Did he tell anybody? Yeah. Yeah. So he sees her and she looks grumpy, you know, like she always does. And she disappears. Mm-hmm. Now he goes and tells his dad this. And his dad told him, never tell anybody about it again. So his dad, his dad was uh, very devout. Um, so yeah, it kind of makes sense. So is that how he got more into the church then? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they grew mm. up. He grew up church, church boy. Uh huh. Either way, Ellen and Rain, they got married at the age of six, uh, eighteen. God, eighteen years old. Well, he was in the navy. Yeah, I thought so. I thought I saw their picture. Yep. Yep. Um, they also had a daughter. I think it was mm-hmm. yeah. 
No, they have a daughter. Well, yeah, yeah, they have, have a daughter. Have... And I believe her husband is the one who runs the museum now. There you go. I think the daughter doesn't have anything to do with it, but her mm-hmm. husband does. Because when that whole Annabelle's escaped meme happened on oh the internet God. last year, he was the one who like had to like make a YouTube video and be like, She's still here. Yeah, huh? She didn't go anywhere, y'all. I don't know where this came from, but Annabelle's where she always is. Oh my god! Sorry. So after World War Two was over, um, they were actually going to be artists. Oh, yeah. Did you know that? I did not know that was their original location. Yeah. Um, they did this for five years, actually. Um, now I want to look up and see if they did anything good. So. They painted. What did they paint? Churchy stuff. Ghosty stuff? Close. Demons? Well, no. They painted haunted houses. Oh! So ghosty stuff. Yeah, they would paint haunted houses. They thought, you know, it would be relatable. Um, I don't know how. Are any of their haunted house paintings haunted? I don't think so. I'm I just, just think they painted the houses or they sketched the houses. Um, so this is how we'll go. Ed would, you know, research houses from the newspaper. Um, he would drag Lorraine along and they would, he would sketch out the houses from the outside. And then he ended up talking to the people, didn't he? <sighs> You're jumping ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, it's a natural, like, you have to, right? Yeah. You have to confirm that the okay. house is haunted. So what. What, what 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 he would do is the people, the owners of the house, they would be looking out the windows like, what are y'all doing? What right? are these teenagers doing outside of our house? Are you casing us? I was about to say, are you casing, <laughs> are you casing our house right now? And so, you know, either Ed or Lorraine or both of them, where they would go up to the door, knock on the door, show them the sketch mm-hmm. and, you know, tell them what they were doing. And then they would ask for more information about the haunting. Okay. As, I was wondering where we were, I was like, they have to confirm the haunting don't they yeah so they would you know exchange the sketch that they drew for you know information about you know the haunting in the house and if the haunting was particularly interesting Mm -hmm. they would definitely they would definitely paint the house and then you know investigate a little write down the story probably exactly so they could add it to their collection oh so in the beginning Rain was basically a skeptic. Like, she had no experience with ghosts or hauntings. Oh, so at this point, she's only experiencing clairvoyance. Yes. Not medium. No, not not ghosty stuff. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I assumed that the way that she was by the time, you know, I saw her on TV or, you know, read her stuff, Mm -hmm. that... That's how she'd always been. I mean, this is a teenager now, so I mean, I imagine her. like everything else in life, your abilities develop and and deepen as you age. Yeah. Now they did get her, her clairvoyance did get stronger mm-hmm. as they were researching houses and you know going more in depth with the ghost stuff mm-hmm. and the spirit stuff um, or you know, hauntings. But damage. so she is like, listen, I can see the future. I don't know about this ghost thing. I enjoy drawing. Yeah. So when does it become real for her? I'm getting to that. Now, Ed, on the other hand, he was down a clown, so to say. Like, he was, he, he, he's seen a ghost before. So he's like, 
let's get more into this creepy stuff. It's like you and me. If like if you're a clairvoyant and I've seen like a ghost Listen, once in my we'd life, be contacting sci- uh, uh, the Travel Channel <laughs> or something. Oh but God. the problem is, I'm far too um, scared. Yeah. To be in that environment for very long. I would be the one on the ghost show who like something would like creak and I'd be like, oh, did you see that? Oh my God. <laughs> like that's me because I'm terrified. Never mind. You I'll... would be like charging into the darkness to I'm find not the thing. Zach. I am not Zach. No, you're not Zach Bagans because I am Aaron. Oh Whoa. my God. <laughs> I am not trying to fight the ghost. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> well, that's the old Zach. Now yeah. Zach's. Yes, in the beginning, he was trying to fight the ghost. You're right. <laughs> oh, my God. But no, I'd probably be more the more sensitive. Plus, You'd be, you'd be from the original Ghost Hunters, you'd be yeah. Nick. Yeah. You want to know the answers. Absolutely. Definitely. I Deep mean- in my heart, I want to be Katrina from... Listen, the, anybody who listens to ghost stuff, you know who I'm talking about. You know Katrina. I want to be like Katrina. She's very, like, brave... I'm not, though. I'm scared. <laughs> I believe in this stuff, and I'm scared. Oh, my God. <laughs> you got this. You, you'll be good. All right. So even before um, El Lorraine were married, he had devoured so much research into the, superma- in the supernatural mm-hmm. and, you know, from his past experience, of course. So he was just, he was like, okay, I, I kind of got, like, basic you know knowledge of this so i'm I'm down to like give you some answers if the people at the houses wanted to oh so they're like listen you're right this place is haunted and he's like uh let me help you with that exactly have you heard of sage (laughs) do you know what a salt ring is oh my god can we not the salt (laughs) not assaulting tonight all right so later on like down the line um Lorraine did become more convinced, you know, of presence of, you know, super, you know. Also, fun fact, this apartment has been saged. Awesome. And holy watered. We hit both, both sides of my family's religious beliefs. There you go. We've just saged our house multiple times. Got you. So, (laughs) of course, whose people's, you know, whose people, whose houses they uh they painted mm-hmm. they wanted to know you know the cause of the haunting or more importantly how does a spirit manifest mm. or where does a spirit come from so that's the like million dollar question isn't it yes where do spirits come from or how do they manifest so there's like in the book there's there's a bit of a rundown of you know of Oh, their earth, belief system on this? Of earthbound spirits, of, you know, how they believe earthbound spirits, like, manifest themselves. Mm-hmm. So earthbound spirits usually use a human presence to manifest. Um, they, they actually need that. Mm. Um, Ties very much into the poltergeist theory. Yeah. So another way they can manifest is the energy in the atmosphere, which is, like, pretty badass. Like, if there's... Water... <clears throat> Yeah, certain stones, that like sort of thing. Water, or weather, anything that's going on, like nature, they can manifest through nature, and that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Oh my god! And of course, um, the way they, they, the way that you know, spirits look, the way they actually manifest their bodies, it depends on how the spirit wants to project themselves, or 
how they see themselves. I'm glad that you said that. There's one other uh, medium that I watch her show who says the same thing. Yeah. A lot of people are like, it also makes me think about what we talked about last week with the um, the trial, the witch trials in Scotland, mm-hmm. and that that particular woman, the witch, or she wasn't really a witch, but you know what I mean. Yeah. She was killed. She presents herself the way she died. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's an interesting choice as to why she does that. And that was oh my god, I forget what story I was um, telling about. That was Scotland. Yeah, no, not last week. It was a couple weeks ahead of that. Mm-hmm. Um, about a woman in white, right, in, in this old rectory. Well, because we kept, because I, I brought up the question of like, why, oh. why are there so many women in white? Yeah, it was in, it was a Valentine's Day. That's what it was. There you go. And she was a naked ghost. Right. She was, she, was, she was trying to seduce the priest, right? And she she was reliving her happiest moment or one of her happy, you know, uh, the last happiest moment of her life. But yeah, and her name is Amy from the TV show The Dead Files. I forget her last name, but I know her name is Amy. Okay. But she also r- routinely says like the way when she's talking about like the spirits is she's like he's showing himself to me in this way. Mm. I don't think this is who he really is, but this is how he's presenting himself to me. Right. Which is an interesting thought process cuz I figure if you're ethereal in that way, why would you choose to look a certain way? I'd be like, I'm a dragon. <laughs> Someone some kid would be like, there's definitely a dragon that flies <laughs> around my bedroom like four times a night and the the medium would come into the house and be like, so she's not a dragon. She just really likes that body. <laughs> she's like an, an old lady who just died here. Oh my God. She's harmless to your child. She in fact really likes your kid and that's why she's hanging out there. Yeah, I mean, that would be me as a ghost. That, that is you as a ghost. <laughs> oh my God. Not vengeful at all. No, I would definitely be creepy because I want to scare kids. Oh, what? What? Why? Because it's fun. Oh my god. <laughs> so in the book, Ed goes deeper on where one would encounter a ghost. Okay. Um like old houses or farmhouses. Places of history? Yeah. Um it didn't mention um places that were like you know during world war ii or stuff like that where they were built like on a shoreline houses built on a shoreline for some reason that's a thing hmm. that was a thing and i'd be interested in reading that part from him yeah um so like i mentioned in episode one episode two and i think Whatever episode I talk about Letta, Letta the the gypsy doll. Oh right. <clears throat> Ghosts can also be attached to objects. Absolutely. So Ed also goes into detail. Ed talks a lot in this book. Let me just I'm just Well going, the book is called Demonologist, which is his area yeah. of expertise. Let me just tell you, he, he everything is a quote by him. <laughs> I'm not dissing him at all. I'm just saying he talks a lot. Anyway. So it goes in detail about how he and Lorraine received some parts from Flight 401. Um, it's a jetliner that crashed in the Everglades. Mm-hmm. So apparently, as soon as Lorraine touched the piece that they re- they received, she saw the ap- the I guess the spirit or the apparition of the flight engineer on that plane, and 
multiple people like throughout however long they had this piece they would comment and say that there's a guy in like a trench coat pacing out in front of y'all houses and something in front of y'all house just walking back and forth and as soon as we get close to him he disappears and they're, and they're like huh that's strange okay so <laughs> poor dude probably feels guilty so i doubt it um so ed and lorraine they finally notice that this guy is the same person that lorraine saw when she touched a piece of the plane mm-hmm. so they come to the, to the conclusion that the reason why he's pacing and waiting outside like in front of the house is because some of his relatives are coming to meet with Ellen Lorraine for oh. like, I guess a consultation or a meeting. Right. Right. And you know, he wanted to commune with them. So, so he was waiting to be able to talk to, to her. his relatives. And Aww. yeah, I was like, Oh my God. Oh, awesome. This is just great. I wish I could see ghosts. Not really. Yeah, I was going to say that. Not really. (laughs) No, I don't. Oh, my goodness. So, either way, Ed goes in, goes on to talk more about ghosts and their natures, I guess you could say. Um, They they do go into a lot. Um, a little bit on this one too. Like it's just like the the, the was it the second chapter in the book? Oh it's wow! Like, yeah. <laughs> so they're like, this is our backstory. Zooming into the ghost stuff now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now Lorraine, back to Lorraine. Um, now the staple in any good ghost ev- uh, investigation is a medium or clairvoyant, right? Um. For one, they can actually see what's going on. Mm-hmm. They can actually see if there's a spirit there. Um, and for two, spirits are naturally drawn to mediums of clairvoyance. And if you're a physical medium, they experience what um, the ghost is trying to express to them. Yeah. So I've heard uh, the lady from the show I like, Amy, talk about how the life expectancy for physical mediums is actually lower. Oh. So you can be a kind of medium who just like hears stuff, Mm -hmm. but like she feels like, so when they're trying to tell her like somebody stabbed me, she is experiencing that moment in that person's life. And so that's a lot of pain and Mm -hmm. trauma to take into yourself. Absolutely. Oh, I lost my place. So was the rain like that, or was she more of a head medium? I think she was more of the mental type. Okay, of medium. that's good because she did live a nice long life. Yeah, so I'd hate to think that she spent or like eighty years. Yeah. Oh my god, just experiencing all, yeah. terrible things that happen to people. That's awful. Yeah. So yeah, so this is what Lorraine did when they investigate houses. They would, you know, she basically like see if there was a spirit she could feel there was one there okay and you know draw it out mm-hmm. if she could and they also say that she used mental telepathy yeah it makes to, sense to communicate with spirits as well so apparently spirits find this the easiest way to communicate right <laughs> if they're i guess an intelligent 
um, ghost or spirit. Right, because we have residual hauntings yes. as a thing. Yes, exactly. Sorry. No. <laughs> okay. So as I mentioned before, the Warrens would go to houses where, you know, there were reports of activity happening. Um, you know, just with small stuff. They'd see a ghost here, ghost there, blah, blah, blah. Nothing big. Mm-hmm. Nothing bad. Um, <clears throat> but there were times when they would be called to a house and the activity of the spirit would be a tad bit more active is it that it wasn't actually a spirit um okay so they refer okay so in, in the book they refer to spirits and ghosts as two separate things so if I, oh so okay you got a ghost which is um just you know just i guess residual. remnant of a yeah human person and then you have a spirit which is actual like a i guess a not physical manifestation but like a you know a manifestation of something well, then what does he think of about, I mean, he, he the book is called Demonology. Right. What does he think of non-human entities then? Getting there. Okay. <laughs> I just, now I'm just intrigued by his, like his perspective on this. Right, right, right. Okay. So, let me see, where was I at? Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, the, the things would be, you know, more active. And the occupants would be going out of their minds you know they'd be they'd be terrified mm-hmm. um and like during during these times people didn't fully understand what was happening or <laughs> i'm or, not really surprised by that or 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 you didn't know i mean can you imagine like every time like you're some like middle-aged housewife in like the really nice area of connecticut mm. right and whenever you wake up at three twenty-seven, and you're like well, i'm really thirsty and you go downstairs to get a drink of water all of the drawers in your kitchen are open and you're just like i'm just gonna close these and get my water you don't like what's your frame of understanding for this like why does this happen every day at three in the morning Oh my god! I mean, it happens at my house too, but it's only because a roommate is a child. No. Oh, you mean your other roommate? Yeah. I thought you were talking about the kids just going down to the kitchen to grab stuff. No. <laughs> she likes to leave the cabinets open. Oh, okay. <laughs> and not shut them and walk away from them. And then, and then you then, walk downstairs and you're like, "Is this a ghost?" Yes, all the time too. I do it all the time. Oh like, no. I'm like, why are all the cabinets open? Is there a ghost in here now? Oh, no. There was in her closet, in your roommate's closet. So before I get any further into this, I'm going to just run back a little bit. Okay. And say um, that ghost activity or spiritual activity, it doesn't happen for everybody. Right. So like if a ghost is actually, you know, haunting a house... One person could experience that haunting, mm-hmm. but another person could not experience that haunting. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And it's usually based on the person mm-hmm. that the haunting is happening to. So let's say if um, a ghost, they committed, you know, S word, 
And this person that's being haunted is going through some depression or, you know, suicidal thoughts. And they're like just going through a rough time in their life. This spirit would probably like latch onto them and it like, should be, be more um, able to show themselves to this person. Sorry, that just makes me think about a thing that happened to me. Oh, goodness. And I don't understand why, because it happened immediately after I visited a prison. Maybe you're going to jail. I have never been to prison, <laughs> darling. So. You said you visited a jail. I, yes, Eastern State Penitentiary. You're going to a jail. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just, I was like, that makes me interested in that situation. A, a weird thing happened there and when I got home. Mm. I also then said, you can go home now. You oh, can go back. Someone latched on to you. They wanted, they were like, oh no, you seem, you, I like you for some reason. Let me follow you for a I was little like, bit. You can, you can go home now. <laughs> no thanks. And then nothing else happened after that. And they went home, I guess. They were like, oh, I guess she doesn't want me around. Okay, fine. I'll go. <sighs> All right. <clears throat> so, oh, where was I going with this? Oh yeah, people... So, so, people, so they, they, like they, they attached to people for different reasons. Yeah. So people, you know, they didn't know what was happening and they really didn't know who they're going to call. Ed and Lorraine. When there was something strange in their neighborhood. Ed and Lorraine. <laughs> or if there was an invisible man sleeping in their bed. Oh they didn't know who they were going to call. Ed and Lorraine. The Ghostbusters. <laughs> What did they have a name for their little organization they created? What was that called? I didn't say it in the book. Oh, I, they had some sort of a little organization that they created and would help people who would help them with their investigations. I forget what it's called. Oh my goodness. Maybe it's in the second half of the book. Yeah. So some oh man, I'm gonna go so deep into that. <laughs> That's all right. I'm gonna try my best to make it like just two episodes because oh goodness. Anyway, sometimes they would get you know they would they would be spirits you know or ghosts. Mm -hmm. Um, and other times it would be a little bit more. I'd say maybe on the demonic side a little, a little bit. Um, so people living here, they would end up you know people living in these houses that would you know end up having activity that was going wild well the general consensus when it's demonic is not that the thing is latching on to you because you're going through a hard time oh no 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 no! it's latching on to you because it wants you yeah oh no no before when i was saying it latched on to you that's that's a spirit i'm talking about a spirit okay like when you're in a haunted house an mm -hmm. actual like haunted house not a demonic house no 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 yeah I'm saying, like the the difference there is it's very yeah like if it if it's a demon you won't know it's a demon. Um, Not in the beginning, though. I mean, there's stages. There are stages. I think it's like three different stages. Um, oppression is it, there's oppression, um, something else, and then possession. I got the chapters. Hold on. One is like the build up to. So it's infestation. There we go. Infestation, oppression, and possession. I yes. know infestation is when all the weird crap happens. Yes. Oppression is when it just seems like there's no other way out. Yeah. Some people cave to it and go, fine, whatever, take what you want. Other people try and fight it, bring people in to help them. And then possession is the point of almost no return. Almost. Yes. 
as you've seen in many exorcist movies. Um, but yeah, people who live in these types of houses end up being physically, mentally attacked by whatever is there. Mm-hmm. Um, they would be worn the fuck down from the activity going on. And that's that's what they call like oppression, that, that factor. They wear you down. Mm-hmm. So the types of spirits that would cause these types of disturbances or like on a whole nother level. Do I even want to know their names? They're just, the it's just dem- demons. Okay, good. I was like, please don't get into other names. No, no, no. It's so just... I can fix it on that. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, these are just demonic spirits. Interestingly enough, <laughs> or, this is the or... one aspect of mm. the paranormal that I am truly afraid of. Okay. Um, but... You could call these demonic or inhuman spirits. Yeah, I would say it's the in, like human spirits. I'm like, you know what? If I see like, hey, Cal, what's up, bud? Mm-hmm. Like walking through my apartment, like whatever. Or like one night I open my door and I just see some random ghost walk by. That, like that's a person. Like that's a person that had human mm-hmm. experiences at some point. Something that's not human at all. Like I said, I watch a lot of different shows and like that lady from Dead Files, Amy, has described so many different things that are inhuman that seem like outrageous. Like at one point, this one family was talking about this being that they saw that was taller than their house. Oh. And like this huge, like black shape that they saw. And she was definitely like, it's something indigenous and it's a part of the land and it's older than anything else. She's like, leave uh yeah i gotta go (laughs) she was like when she talks about those sort of things that's when i get like and the thing that really creeps me out about that show is that she will have a sketch artist draw up the things that she's seeing oh my god and they'll be the most bizarre pictures you've ever seen it's not like a sketch artist drawing it's like ghost writing or whatever the heck you call her it's 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 like a ghostly looking thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's a thing standing over their bed with its hand inside of the person that no, it's bothering. Stuff like that. Really creepy things. So I'm like, the stuff that is inhuman is where my actual level of fright happens. Okay. But I'm like, people. Eh. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Then. Um. So these are different from your run of the mill ghosts. Um. For one. Ghosts naturally scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, ghosts can be scary to people too. Seeing a dead person float around, come on now. Um, so ghosts naturally manifest at any time of the day. Mm-hmm. Now these other spirits, oh, the witching hour—they appear in, I guess, the lack of natural light. So if you're living in like a house that doesn't get a lot of light or sun, which Interestingly enough, sometimes those houses, even with the sun shining through the windows, just seem a little darker. Yeah. I wonder why. Because of what's, yeah. <laughs> um, so, these spirits that manifest, they, I guess they manifest as, like, at first they manifest as a black being, like, not a black person, but like... All... No, I know what you mean. Okay, very dark, dark being. Shadow. Yes. People. Yes. Um, And something else I read is that these spirits, they feed off of your fear. Mm-hmm. Like, the more you're afraid, the stronger they get, the more, like, 
the activity intensifies, and after that, it's <sighs> not that fun. Um, so they did notice that a terrible smell would um accompany these spirits when they manifest it. So the sulfur. It would be sulfur. Nice. Or rotting flesh. Oh. Or. I don't know that smell. Or. I don't know that smell to know that I'm smelling it. Or excrement. I know that smell though. Okay. So you got. You You got two out of three. You get get your choice. Uh, How do you. How does Ed know what rotting flesh smells like? I don't know. I guess you could speculate what, you know, rotting flesh would probably smell like. So it's going to smell like poop, farts, or some unknown thing we don't know what it smells like yet. There you go. Alrighty then. Something dying. There you go. <clears throat> so the Warrens would sense the presence of hatred when they, like, right. when, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. when they encounter you know, the spirits. Mm-hmm. Like, you just, like, sense that as soon as you, like, go in. And most of the times when they were called to these houses that were experiencing this, Everything was going haywire. Everything was already off the rails. It was a house in chaos, kind of like the way that it worked in The Conjuring. Absolutely. Like by the time that lady tracked Ed and Lorraine down, yeah, it was already the, wasn't the family like everyone was sleeping in the living room, yes. and they had to like lock, they had to like wrap all of the door handles, no, or else they would the fly open. Again. Yeah, yeah. Like by the time they called in Ed and Lorraine at that point. It was bad. It's going sideways. It was bad. It was all bad. Um, so they encountered spirits that were very vulgar. Mm-hmm. They would say not nice things. Yeah. In not nice ways. Mm-hmm. Um, they could like, you could actually hear them speaking to, like they can actually hear them speaking to them about things. Um, oh, and best believe. These spirits made themselves known, of course, leaving upside down crosses and writing backward messages in mirrors. Mm. Um, in the book, it's, I don't remember what page, but I bet you I could flip to it real quick. Um, that looks like, looks like you read the crap out of it. Anyway, um, on this page, you can see it. There's a, there's a like on this page, it has uh-huh. a word written backwards. It says demonic. Mm. And underneath of it, they would like it'd even be bold enough to write "death to God." Mm. So, uh, also not just otherworldly, but specifically mad at Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And yes, maybe I've read that book. I don't know. Whatever doesn't matter. No, listen, I love <laughs> it. It just you, you. Oh my goodness! All right, and oh. I left the best part for last. So these spirits would even leave piles of bodily waste to be found. Wait, 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 wait. How? I don't know. So it would either be excrement or urine, or even when they like manifested, there would be like either a blood stain or some type of like bodily fluid where they manifested that. Oh, I hate it. I know it's terrible, right? I like listen. Ghostbusters is like ectoplasm. How gross is that? <laughs> Can you imagine? Like you're just listen. I've walked through the house and accidentally stepped on a cat turd mm. because someone didn't like clean the. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine walking through your house 
and you step on a people turd, but it's a people turd from a ghost <laughs> because you're in a house full of adults, right? And yeah. you're like, where did this poop come from? And everybody else is like, we don't know. It was the ghost or the spirit or the demon. That, um, I don't know why that's more offensive to me. Like, I knew you'd be upset by that. that that's why I wrote it last. That is the most offensive part of this. That's why I wrote it last. Like, infestation, okay. Banging on pots and pans, just being rude, waking you up in the middle of the night. But leaving behind, that's so nasty. <laughs> and I get it. You're demonic. Blue, whatever. Oh, my it's God. It's just really offensive to me. Yeah. Walking through the house, see a pee pile. Mm, I'd be upset. That's the like the least bothersome out of all of them. I'd still be upset. Yo, but how freaked out would you be if you're like, you wake up one night or you come home from work one night. Mm. You walk into the kitchen. There's just a blood stain in the middle of the floor. You go upstairs. I'd be freaking out first. You go upstairs. You check the children. None of them have any cuts or wounds. Mm. You knock on your roommate's door. Did you cut yourself in the kitchen or something? She's like, nah. You're just like, where did this blood come from? It's just a nice little round circle in the middle of the kitchen. Okay, please don't. Because I got to go home after this. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell a good story, though. Oh, my God. Like, that's that's alarming. Yeah. So, indeed, these weren't human spirits they were dealing with. These were. So these are where their biggest cases come in then. Yes, absolutely. These Um, kinds of cases. These kinds of cases were their biggest cases, I think. Um, Yeah. Amityville was demonic. Mm -hmm. Annabelle Annabelle. has a demonic attachment. Yeah. Conjuring was a demonic entity. Yep. Well, I believe the Conjuring was a demonic entity that was linked to someone who was um, conjuring the occult at her home yeah like and invited things in that then proceeded to like attach to other people who did harm on the same property right, line. yeah now this reminds me that's of, why it's called the conjuring i believe the the woman who lived there who was the bad yeah woman mm-hmm. was doing what they threatened women with in the past like yeah. we talked about last episode like witchcraft and stuff like that. she was actually <laughs> you know trying to conjure real stuff yeah now like a little more than she bargained for yeah this kind of stuff reminds me of uh that movie the haunting connecticut mm. that was a good one i like that one too um when they held seances at this house at a house that was a morgue at once too i think you know i once was well okay my childhood church at one point we bought a building um and it used to be a morgue mm. never experienced anything there though you know, one part I like in the book mm-hmm. is that they mention um, uh, not Houdini, but um, who's the other one? The other magician? Is it Richard Price? Is it Price? Harry Price. Harry Price. Harry Price. Harry Price. Oh, uh, Harry Price. You remember Harry Price? Um, okay. Have you ever seen, um, I guess, Michael Jackson's Thriller? Mm-hmm. He does the voice in that one. Oh, and then Harry Price was in. I don't want to, you know. He, He's another one who was into exposing. Yeah, absolutely. Mediums. Mm-hmm. And 
he he also was he's in loads of books too. Yeah, he he's a writer. He was in a lot of uh, shows too. And I big I barely specifically remember him um, being a character in the Scooby Doo. Oh really? At one time, like this new Scooby Doo movies or whatever the heck they called it was Scrappy, and it was it's funny because it was Scrappy, uh, Daphne, Scooby, and I think Shaggy was in it too with uh, Harry Price. Mm-hmm. And they just go investigating stuff. No Fred, no Velma. Oh. Here's the thing. So did he connect with that? I believe he did. I know, I know they mentioned him once in the book. I would love, like, believe, to know look, his, per, know his. Look, I'm going into Harry Price and I'm going to Houdini eventually, like, down the road. I'm going oh, to, yeah. I'm, I'm going to start talking. I'm going to talk about those because I, I just find that era quite hilarious um i just think it's great that harry houdini was like i'm gonna do tricks and then somebody like some medium was like yes i know your mother and he got so mad that he devoted like the next 20 years to exposing fake mediums because one of them tried to like profit off of his like mother dying and from that point on, like, that is just some serious outrage. He was mad. He, he's, he's one of those cases where you thrive out of spite. Yep, that was out of spite. <laughs> he was like, how dare you try and use my oh own my mother goodness. against me? He was mad. So, okay, I didn't, I didn't write too much after this. Um, so the Warrens, they would do their best to mm-hmm. stay away from, you know, these kind of cases, demonic cases, because... They were new and they didn't know that much about them, but they did, you know, they did still do um like research about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and these entities are actually what I will be talking about next week on part two. Oh, that's gonna be. <clears throat> I'll have to find another positive person or you know person to make us happy next week because I'm, because. I just... I told you that's the only stuff that makes me gives me the spooks. I'm going to be going into the demons, demons. and some possessed things and some hauntings. Whenever anybody says demons, I think about BuzzFeed Unsolved and I think about Shane Bidet with his glasses. Hey demons, it's me, your boy. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that's like the best quote from that entire like eight seasons they have of making stuff it's me your boy oh my god you know what's funny that's what a great like that's a great series too a skeptic and a believer yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty still on the fence of i mean i believe but i don't believe um pretty anyway no um, i believe i believe i on the way here i actually like coincidentally npr was talking about demons in the scientific community mm-hmm. community oh my god i cannot talk um and how i guess there's different types of demons but they're not is oh, that different loads. yeah so it's a different type of demon that scientists like refer to i'm interested in this yeah um, i'm literally gonna google npr demon please when we're do done. It, it was on this morning and it came on tonight too because they, re, mm, you know, they replay stuff. It's almost you yeah, know, that's right. I was sort of divine providence. Yeah, that's right. Listen to NPR, fight me. Um, 
But yeah, I was just like demons and scientific technology and how it helps somehow. But yeah. Um but that's all I have for this week. Um sorry to leave you guys hanging. I could talk about more, but I'm going to leave it there. Yeah, we already hit a two hour mark. Are you serious? Yes, we did. Oh my god. This was us rambling and talking about other stuff. That's all right. <laughs> that's what the people are here for. Oh my goodness. But yeah, thanks so much for listening as usual. Yes, uh, yes. If you happen to list all, listen to all the way here, you might as well drop a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Because obviously you are one of the the real deal hardcore followers of this <laughs> content if you've made it to the two hour and five minute mark. I do apologize for talking so much. Nice. Um, but yeah, leave that rate and review. Um, what else? If you want to send us a voicemail. You go right. To- you can do that. Anchor.fm slash when killers get caught. As soon as you go on the main page, there'll be a little chat box. You can click that and leave us a voicemail. Yep. And you can also send us emails at cultpodcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. Um, you can find Miss Brittany on TikTok. Always at, at Caught Podcast. I'm going to try and get Brian on there with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you would like to hear more of us talking to each other, uh, Brian streams on Twitch at Foxy Trainer. And I give delightful commentary while he plays games. Yes, I'm currently playing Omori. Um, I'm not sure how long this game is, but I'm. Yeah, it's going on for six a while. hours in. Yeah, I yeah, know, right? I just met Pluto. <laughs> and all Pluto wants is to be free to travel how he wants to the oh, universe. That's such a touching story, my God. But thanks so much for listening. I hope wherever you happen to be. This uh has brought you some joy. Yes. And if you hated it, I am sorry. That's true. But <laughs> have a good night wherever you are in the world or a good day. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye.